Thanks for choosing to listen to another City Point West podcast. I trust that this message empowers and encourages you to continue your journey of faith. Enjoy. Uh, but it's awesome to be here. It's, you know what? I was just I was just going to the bathroom just before I walked past one of the kids' rooms and saw Wendy Mosley there. And my heart just skipped a beat there. Wendy was doing kids' church when my kids were going through kids' church. Like that's over twenty years. Like and she has served in kids' church like faithfully every week of every year. And so next time you see Wendy, just give her a big hug for Mike. Um, it's amazing. Uh, to invest in a young generation. Just saw, just saw Brett at the bat. Fleur, you did amazing. That was phenomenal. I, was, I wanted to sign up for youth camp and Red Frogs and just chatting to, to Brett there. You know, Brett's a, a, a greyhound training champion. A, Tony, sorry. Tony, I'm, it's always difficult when someone's got two first names. And, uh, <laughs> and Tony, you know, just a national champion, Queensland champions uh, and... It's amazing. I'm sitting next to a doctor in service here. I run into young punks that are just changing their schools and their universities. And uh, I just love, I love the house of God, hey. Uh, also in the presence of a new Australian champion, uh, Diver. Right. I've always loved Wendy, but Tim's now just, he's like, right, like, he's just rising in my estimates. Like, and uh, I just want to honour you both as location passes here at West and uh, the impact that you have. Um, incredible team that we have here on staff, marketplace staff. Uh, Jess Preston, she's leaving us in a couple of weeks. And, uh, and so when you see, you know, yes, right, she's still here for youth. I've made sure of that. Uh, here for church. If she doesn't come to church, let me know. We'll fix that up. Uh, but it's just awesome to be here um, in this series uh, through the months of July and August. We've been looking at Elephant in the Room. And so I'm going to preach a message, one of the elephants uh, that came out of a recent experience. Last uh, month I was in Auckland and uh, it was a Saturday afternoon. I was going to find somewhere to eat lunch and I was walking through Queen Street there. And as I was waiting there to cross the road, there was a young gentleman, probably mid-20s, that was holding a placard up. Uh, he was just by himself there. And as I looked at that statement that he had on the placard there, I didn't necessarily agree with it. So I thought, you know what, I'd just love, I've got some time. I'd love to have a chat with the guy. And, and so as I'm sitting in the corner of the street, and we make eye contact. Yeah, you make eye contact. The buzzer went, went across, still had eye contact, gave me big, big smiles. He gave me some smiles. He knew I was going to come and have a chat to him. And as I got closer, he uh, took out one of his, uh, his is it AirPods or something like that, one of those things out, as we're going to have an engaging conversation. And I got three words out of my mouth, and he said these two words back to me, beep off. Yeah. Like, uh, so the end of the conversation, <laughs> in five seconds, in five words. Uh, later on that week, I, was, I followed someone on social media, and they put a story up on their Instagram page that began with these words, if you disagree with me, just unfriend me now. I got to thinking about these two experiences in a one-week period of time, and I thought this, had this question, have we as individuals, have we as a society, lost our ability to maintain, maintain relationships with anyone that doesn't see the world exactly how we see the world? Are we living in an echo chamber of life where we are just hanging out with people and hearing the voice of people that just think and act and believe exactly the same things. There's no doubt we live in a divided, we live in a fractured world, but that's always been the case. 
is there's always been differences of worldviews and ideology and doctrines and political views and that. But there seems to be in the world in which we live is that we now only listen to people that sound exactly like you and I. And I think as a church, we've got to do better than that is we've got to have the ability to engage with the world around about us, even if they're in a place of disagreement to us and to our belief systems. I just don't want to live, live in the echo chamber of a Christianity uh, without hearing someone else's opinion there, but continue to live in a world where I believe and uphold the truth of the Word of God, never ever to compromise on those things. And, but it's a, it's a challenging world in which we live is that there's arguments around when does life begin, when does life end right now. We see, the, we see you know, legislation being introduced in our own nation uh, around you know, things that used to be such uh, places of morality for us as a nation. Well, what is marriage today? Uh, we, we, we've, we struggle now to make definition of what is a woman, but it seems very easy to define what a man is. There's an attack against womanhood right now in the world in which we live. There's divided clashes of belief systems and religions. We've come into the world in which we live and the voice of God is seen as irrelevant and intolerant and therefore your voice is also irrelevant and intolerant. I want to let you know from the outset is that God is not irrelevant and he's definitely not intolerant. Uh, of that and so uh, for the rest of this message you're going to camp around a passage of scripture found in Luke chapter 6 it it is the preach of all preachers this message pales it doesn't even rate on the radar in comparison to this message that Jesus preached it's called the the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes and I I love the writers inspired by Holy Spirit the Gospels is if we didn't have this message of Jesus we'd actually have more of his prayers than what he actually preached is that the writers inspired by Holy Spirit captured more of what Jesus did than what he actually said, but that his doing was always preceded by his preaching. I think that might be a really good way to live life. Yes. <laughs> is that you and I are designed to take the miracle power of God into the world around about us, set the captives free, declare the message of hope and salvation to the world around about us, to change, world, to change lives. And Jesus, on this mountaintop, begins to say these words in Luke chapter 6 and verse 20. It says this, And then Jesus lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. This is the verse I'm going to focus on right now. Verse 21, Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, oh my gosh, and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner your fathers did to the prophets. Is that this passage, this message, it does not seem to make sense from a worldly point of view. If you and I look at that, that's not my idea of blessing. <laughs> that's not a blessed life where you are poor and where you are mourning and there's no place of comfort. In the Western world, that, that, that's not blessing. The Western world is blessing. You and I look at our bank account Monday morning and see it just dramatically increase. That's blessing. No, no, no that, that's blessing. Wow. That, that's what it means to actually live a blessed life. It, it's a simple message that the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, the kingdom of God is invading this upside down, therefore making it right side up. And you and I can look at those words, and I'm sure the followers on the mountaintop that day, they started clapping and cheering when Jesus was saying these words, thinking that he was going to be some great political leader that was going to change the known world. 
Well, but when you and I read that, was Jesus like was the rarefied air of the mountaintops just causing him to speak in riddles that you and I couldn't even understand? Is we can clap and cheer on this on the mountaintop, but there's a time where we're going to come back down to sea level, rub shoulders with humanity, and how do I actually live that? How do I live that type of blessed life? Because it goes against everything you and I believe blessing actually looks like. Because we look at the world around about us and there is peacemaking is impossible. Is that poverty crushes through on every side? Is that mercy is limited? And if you are meek in this world, you inherit nothing. Because you refuse to fight for anything. But Jesus said, no, you take on those characteristics and that is what a blessed life actually looks like is the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes teaches you and I to how to be, how to live and how to do life. And here in this message, it shapes everything for us. And Jesus says in that verse, in verse 21, blessed are, when, uh, blessed are you when men hate you and revile you and persecute you. <laughs> Whoa, that, that's not blessed for you and I. And so the title of my message is this one word, cancelled. Is that we live in an age now where we see the hashtag everywhere, really over the last two years of cancel culture. Is that we now have the ability to cancel individuals that may speak differently to how you and I speak. We cancel individuals that have a different truth to the truth that you and I uphold. When I was a kid, my mum and dad used to cancel like newspaper and magazine subscriptions based upon the family budget. Is now we find ourselves where we just cancel humanity. And I think we can do better as a society and also as the church is that cancel culture, I've got a definition for you, it's this. It's a way of behaving in a society or a group, especially on social media, in which it is common to completely reject and stop supporting someone because they have said or done something that offends you and I. It's like we are living in a culture of perpetual offense. That we're quick to judge, we're quick to criticize, we're quick to condemn each other. And God has not designed you and I that we'd cancel any person at all. Is, but there's people who defend cancel culture. They believe it is a right place and they believe this, that they see it as supporters as a vehicle where people who have been marginalized for generations are able to call out offensive and discriminating conduct by powerful people where marginalized people and groups can finally be heard. And as I consider that, there's merit to this. That there is merit to calling out sectors of society and individuals and maybe political parties at different times that are doing the wrong things. But I found that there is a great difference between calling someone out and canceling someone. I look at the life of Jesus. He called people out. He called out the religious leaders on a regular, regular basis. He, he called out the merchants who were doing the wrong thing in the courts of the temple. Doing the, he called them out, but he never, ever canceled them. See, we, you and I, we, we can call out others uh, because it, can, it puts them in a place where they can change, that they can come to a place of, re, of repentance. They can alter their steps moving forward. They can make adjustments to their belief system and their truth. It's okay to call them out, but to cancel someone gives them no room for change, no room for repentance, no room to modify their lives and their ways in order to move forward. And so that's where cancel culture is so against the kingdom of God. But you and I call out, you can call out things. I call out my kids all the time over different things. It's not wrong to call them out. It would be wrong to cancel my kids because of their behavior or their truth doesn't line up with my truth. 
I think there is a question in the day in which we live that we all must get the answer to, and the question is this. What is truth? (laughs) What is truth? (laughs) We live in a world where we do not know the truth. Is we live in a postmodern generation says that there is no absolute truth at all. If you believe in absolute truth, you are now in a place of foolishness because there is no absolute truth. But you and I must come to some answer to that question. What, what is the truth around these issues in our world? What is the truth around abortion? Well, what is the truth around marriage? What is the truth around some of these moral issues? And the truth's not found on the internet. The truth can only be found through the Word of God. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, there was this conversation that went down between one of the, the, the political officials, Pilate and Jesus, in John chapter 19. And Pilate asked, asked Jesus this question, what is truth? And the conversation looked like this in John 18, it was. And so Pilate said to him, So you are a king, and Jesus answered, you say that I am a king, and for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, and this purpose was to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who was of the truth listens to my voice, and Pilate said to him, what is truth? I, I wonder what your truth actually looks like, because the way in which we answer this question determines how we live and die, what and who we believe and value in, It will determine the next steps of our lives. You and I have got to find the truth. And the truth, as I said, can only be found in the Word of God. I I believe that this is truth. I believe that this is the infallible Word of God. It is without error. It's without man intervention. It is the truth of the Word of God. It says that our God, He cannot change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His Word does not change according to different beliefs in the day in which we live. It is the truth. Is that sin separates us from God and faith pleases God. It shows the full nature and the character of who God is. If you want to know who God is, you just have to open up the Word of God and find out who He actually is. Is that this is a place where only truth can be found but I found that the truth in this book in the day in which we live it is polarizing it's almost offensive today the truth of the word of God I've thought a lot about why is this book so polarizing why is the truth so polarizing and I found there's three reasons the first one is this is it identifies the state of the human heart your heart my heart pre-salvation pre-born again, being in relationship with God. It identifies the state of every human heart and says that every one of us are sinners. That's offensive. You walk down the road this afternoon and just say to someone, you know what, you're a sinner. If they punch you in the face, great. But it's polarizing. None of us like to hear those words that we're a sinner. And it's only through grace that we can be saved. The, Another reason why it's so polarizing and so offensive, it is narrow in its approach. Is that Jesus said words like this. There is only one way through the Father, and that's through me. You imagine though others thousands of religions, thousands of gods that are worshipped across the world today. That's offensive, that's polarizing. That you can only be in relationship with the Heavenly Father through the Son. 
That's my truth. And that's what I'm going to believe. There. The third reason why it is so polarizing is that it identifies that you and I, that we are eternal beings, that our spirits are going to live forever. And if we're not in relationship with God before our last breath, is that we're going to be eternally separated from Him into a place and cast to a place of damnation of hell. That, that's, that's polarizing. <laughs> that this book determines, identifies the state of our heart that we're sinners. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. And if you don't make that decision, you end up in eternal damnation from God. That, that, that's my truth today. And it's not going to alter because that is the Word of God. And does it polarize? Yes, it polarizes. Is it offensive? Yes, it's offensive. But God says, blessed are you. Blessed are you when men persecute you and revile you and hate you for upholding the truth of the Word of God. How will you answer that question of what is truth? wonder what the truth actually looks like for you. Why, why has there been such an increase in this hashtag cancel culture over the last number of years? And there's a lot of research going into it right now, but there's a research articles as to why there's been this proliferation of the cancelling of individuals within our society over different truths and over different belief systems. There's a number of reasons. The first one is this, is that the world in which we live, especially the Western world, that we're in the midst of a mental health pandemic. And this I know about life is that hurt people hurt people. I read a quote by a young girl. She said these words about her current generation. She said, my whole generation is like a bunch of little volcanoes. Right below the surface, there is hurt, there is stress, there is anxiety, and they are about to explode. One of the reasons that we cancel each other is because of issues like this. And as a church, the Word of God says, we, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers. If there's some place where you'd want to direct your attention right now is warring on behalf of our society and where mental health comes against them is that we fight in the heavenly places on their behalf. We don't fight against humanity wow. there, but we fight in heavenly places. If you want to direct your attention to anything right now, fight in the heavenly places for our young people and our older people and for families today. Is the next reason why there's this increase in cancel culture is we live in such a divided world. You look at politically, is you either right or you're left. Make a decision. I don't want to make a decision like that. I want to make decisions based upon true policy and truth is going to be upheld there. I don't necessarily need to make a decision right now, but we live in a world that is so fractured over so many of these issues today. And for you and I, we've got to determine what the truth is. What's the, what's the, the truth that I'm going to uphold there? Don't be swayed just by the opinions of others and what the media is saying, and what social media is saying. No, What's God saying to you in the midst of these turbulent times in which we live? The third reason why there's this increase in cancel culture, and many of you are holding your hands right now, is these little devices called mobile phones. Deb was taking notes. She was not on anything there. So. Is it those, these devices now have given you and I access to the world? <laughs> that we can now communicate to the world. Be really wise and caref careful how you use them. <laughs> like for that person that I follow that put that statement up on their story, if you disagree, just unfriend me now. You know what? I, I agreed with her, but I was so close to unfriending her. 
Don't ever put up a post like that. Because what we're literally saying, well, if you don't agree with my opinion, I don't even know, want to know your opinion. I don't even want to have any dialogue with it. No, if you're stupid enough to put up a post like that, that's going to get people offside, be willing to answer every person that comes back to you. Don't delete the comments because they disagree with your narrative and your dialogue. How dare they? No, no. If you're stupid enough to put it up there, be brave enough to fight it, to defend your truth. Like, I don't want my feed full up with all these nasty guys. No, 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 no. Blessed are you when people (laughs) hate you and revile you and persecute you. Like, don't delete that voice. Be willing to defend your truth. Be open to other people's voices there. Don't live in this echo chamber of just listening to people who you believe to. If you you want to engage the world, engage the world. Don't be so offensive to turn off your comments because you don't want to hear anyone negative about you. No, no, no. You put it up there, you face the facts. Like, oh. <laughs> like seriously. When I, when I was growing up, my dad used to tell me and my four brothers, I, I want you seen but not heard. Anyone that was a parent? Yeah, we now live in a generation that's not seen but is definitely heard. Mm. And so with this increase of cancel culture, we have, as believers, two ways we face two temptations. The first temptation is this. Is to, one is to live in fear of being cancelled. I read some stats last week. Is that throughout the Western world, the Western church right now, is that the, we are now at the lowest rate of evangelism in history. And as I considered that stat, this is one of the reasons. Is that we're now in a place, not necessarily fear, but we live in a place where I don't want to be cancelled. If I, if I let the world know the truth of what I believe in, I'm going to get slammed at work, I'm going to get slammed at school, I'm going to get slammed at university, I'm going to get slammed at my church. There. But you and I cannot afford to live in a place of fear of being cancelled because Jesus says 2,000 years ago, hey, blessed are you. The second temptation we can face is that we just join in with the bandwagon of cancellers. Don't do that either. We are not designed to cancel humanity. That's the that's lowest thing that we can do. We're, we're designed to engage humanity and to believe in and love and to declare the good news there. So don't allow either of these two temptations. Would you uphold the, the truth of the word of God in which the times in which we live? I, I find in life every moment of every day, as you and I make decisions, is that our decisions are made according to one of two things. Made according to these things, either our inner principle that we uphold or out of pressure. Every decision you and I make is based upon those two things. The inner truth, the inner principle of our lives, the inner belief system, or the outer pressure. And we see it time and time again throughout the Word of God is that ones that have folded from the outer pressure. We think of Jesus' good friend, Peter. Where Jesus says, you know, before the the rooster crows three times, you'll have denied me. I'm never going to do that. I'll never do that. I'm never going to do that. But the outer pressure, I saw you with him. Aren't you one of his associates? Wow. Uh, you're the guy, I, I, I see you. And by the, the third crow, is that Peter has succumbed to the outer pressure. I don't know him, I was never with him. 
But then there were others throughout the Word of God that they've stood in a place of, a, of an inner conviction, an inner truth, an inner principle in their lives. We'll look at it through the book of Daniel, three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king of the day established his massive idol in the plain of Jura. And they institute that, that as the music plays, is that the individual society, they must come and bow down at this, this idol, worship the idol. And if you don't bow down and worship, is you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace, heated up to maximum temperature if you don't bow. And so the, the idol set up in the plane, the music plays. All of society bows down, it says, except for three young men. There are some times when you and I just need to stand when everyone else is bowing. Is that we'll never ever change what we do not confront. And they knew the punishment that was going to come their way. They said, we're not going to bow to any other idol. We'll only bow to our Heavenly Father. And so as they came across, I don't know how many times the music played, and I don't know how many times these young men continued to stand as everyone else bowed. But then they were thrown into the midst of this furnace. And the king says, I, don't I see like four men walking in the midst of that fire? And the fourth looks like the appearance of the Son of Man. Like, <laughs> They see a great deliverance come. We flick a few pages over. Daniel's chapter 6, Daniel. Now, Daniel's like now 80 years of age. In my, yeah, wow, Mark. I, yeah, I've read, I've read that. He's went through three kings there. In all the little kids' Bibles that I read my kids, Daniel was always a young strapping lad. Like, you're going you're to rip this line apart. But he's 80 years of age. He's served God for a long, long time. Is that he's now at a level of government. The other guys are really envious of him. They say to the king, hey, king, why don't you make a decree for the next month and no one can pray to any other God except you. What does Daniel do? He's now 80 years of age. It says his custom was to pray morning, noon, and night. Whoa, what am I supposed to do? So what does David do? He taps into his inner conviction. He says, I'm going to continue to pray. As his custom was, he climbs up into his next layer of his house, his window's open and he prays morning, noon and night. I, I wonder how you and I make our decisions based upon the inner principle or the outer pressure. These guys go back to the king saying, you know what, Daniel hasn't stopped praying at all. He's got to be thrown into the lion's den. Just as you said, he's thrown into a lion's den. He comes out unscathed. I've thought about this a lot. When, when did these guys get the deliverance? When, when did the three young men get the deliverance? Was it... Was it in the midst of the fiery furnace? When did Daniel get the deliverance? Was it when he was in the lion's den? It's like, no, they didn't get the deliverance there. They got their deliverance back on the plain of Jura when they didn't bow. Daniel got his deliverance when he went back up into his house and continued to pray. Because it's a place of inner principle. And when you and I stand on that, it enables God to do what God needs to do. I wonder how you and I make our decisions moving forward by inner principle or by outer pressure in our lives there's a lot of stuff right now eh? I've got two minutes and 50 seconds this is impossible will someone give me five minutes five ten fifth oh, it's only 11 13 oh, we, got, we haven't got that all day but we've got, we got a good 17 minutes hey? just chill out relax it gets better it gets better alright no and so as I considered this and this sermon out of Luke chapter 6, uh, my next little segment I have entitled this is that you and I are designed to flip the script. And flip the script means this. If we just go back a couple of guys, that'd be great. It means 
It means this. It means to reverse the usual or existing positions in a situation, to do something unexpected or revolutionary. <laughs> How are you and I designed to live in this world is that we're designed to do something unexpected and revolutionary. Jesus comes down from the mountaintop as he's shared this great message. And this next part of my message is there's no creative elements at all. If you open up your Bible, it's got to have the same headings as my Bible. It's got the same scripture passages as my Bible. How are you and I designed to live life as we rub shoulders with humanity? And the first heading that Jesus comes out and explains in this sermon is this, is for you and I to love our enemies. Would you and I flip the script on how we're designed to love humanity? In verse 27, it says it like this, but I say to you who hear, Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. No way. (laughs) And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask for them back. (laughs) And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Reading that, that's impossible. Andrew Springer, someone comes along this afternoon stealing your truck in your yard. I cannot imagine you just standing there waving. (laughs) Saying, goodbye truck. I don't need you tomorrow for work. I say, see you later. I can't imagine any of us doing that. Like, like if I punch you in the face, (laughs) you're supposed to respond, Pastor Mike, punch the other side now. And I know I don't have a lot going on here in comparison (laughs) to you. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But that's, that's impossible. That's impossible for you and I to live from a natural perspective. But Jesus is not asking you and I to live from a natural perspective. This is not even just about behavior modification. This is about a total transformation of one's life. (laughs) This is about a total transformation of you and I being in the presence and the power of God to change us to live life like that. How? And Jesus says, you know what? We're going to win the world over by the love that we have between each other. Wow. Not even the love we have from the world, but the world would see how we love each other. What a way to live, wife. To live like that, to love our enemies. And I find in the world in which we live today is that one of the buzzwords, the buzzword of tolerance, and the, the world puts, equates tolerance with love. And as I look and see what tolerance is, is tolerance is the complete opposite to love. I've written some statements here. Is tolerance says you must approve of everything I do. Love responds, I will love you even when your behavior offends me. Wow. Tolerance says you must agree with me. Love responds, I will tell you the truth because I am convinced that the truth will set you free. Tolerance says you must allow me to have my way, but love responds, watch me and I'll show you the right way because I believe that you are worth the risk. Is that tolerance seeks to be inoffensive, love will always take a risk. 
Tolerance glorifies division. Love seeks unity. Tolerance costs nothing, but love will cost you and I absolutely everything. Well, we are not called to be tolerant. We are called to love our enemies. That's how we're designed to live life, rubbing shoulders with humanity. Love, love, love. There's next heading in Luke 6 that Jesus unpacks and unfolds as the heading of this. It says, do not judge. Verse 37, it says, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Verse 41, and Jesus continues, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye, hypocrite? First remove the plank from your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Would you and I live a life of judging not, a life of forgiveness, a life of no condemnation in there? Would you and I not just consider the speck that's in our brother's eye, but first consider the whopping plank that's in our eye as people ducking for cover as we enter into a room. You know, you can speak into someone else's life when you consider that rather than just a speck in their eye. And Jesus says, this is how I want you to live life. This is how I want you to respond to the world in which we live. Would you love others and would you not bring judgment? And Would you allow forgiveness to flow? And if I look at someone's life who, has done, who did that so many times throughout his life, that was Jesus. Is that he showed us what true love looks like and how true forgiveness could also flow in that place of love. I remind the story of the woman caught in adultery. That the moment that now she finds herself in, she's caught in the very act, it says. And I can just imagine she, over her naked body, she's just gathering a few clothes as the religious now, leaders now drag her into the presence of Jesus in the outer courts of the temple. And the law would say is that her life should now be cancelled. She's caught in the act of adultery. She should be stoned to death. The law says that. But as the, they brought this woman to Jesus, it says that Jesus, he, he stoops down to the ground. <laughs> And here is a woman caught in the very act and there's a crowd that's holding stones. He's caught in the midst and between a sinner and stones. But what's he going to do in this moment? And he brings the greatest covering you and I could ever bring over humanity. He says words like this as he draws on the ground. <laughs> if you're without sin, go ahead, cancellor. Throw the stones. I'm sure he looked up for a moment. All you could hear was just stones hitting the ground. So as he goes back down, he writes again. And he looks up again, he looks around, there's no one there. And he says to the woman caught in the act of adultery, where, where are your accusers now? And she says, they're not here. Jesus rises at his feet and says these words over her life. Well, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. I wonder how you and I cover humanity. That he covers her with such love and such forgiveness. And she responds saying, you know what? I am a sinner. We don't know the end of her story, but I, I choose to believe that she would have gone and sinned no more because she just experienced the greatest of love and the greatest forgiveness. Where humanity had every right to cancel her, Jesus comes and says, no, you know what? There's a higher law in place right now. There. I wonder how you and I cover 
You'll see it all the way through the word of God. The prodigal son, he says to his dad, Dad, I don't want you, but I want your stuff. Would you give me my inheritance now? He goes and squanders it. He says he comes to his senses and he's walking down the path to home. And he says when the, his dad saw him a long way off, he runs towards him. And his son has lived in squalor, lived in pig's pen there, comes and clothes him with the most beautiful of garments. I, I wonder how you and I clothe humanity wow. that haven't acted the way you and I believe they should have acted. And it's so easy for us to withhold love and withhold forgiveness and to bring judgment and condemnation. But Jesus said, no, I, I want you to cover humanity in something different. This is not a normal reaction I'm looking for. I, I'm looking for something that's revolutionary. <laughs> it's not an immediate response. It's now a response of how are you going to love in a way that Jesus has asked us to love? How are you and I designed to forgive in the way that Jesus has asked us to forgive? Would we flip the script? As we finish up, I've done up a table here. You can get your phone out and take a photo. I don't need to go through all of this. Just the difference between what cancel culture looks like and what the kingdom culture looks like. Because cancel culture is a place of condemnation. It keeps account of all our sins and wrongs. It's unforgiveness. It brings shame. It cancels the past. It, it's, it's a place of judgment. Cancel culture says more of me and no more of Jesus. It seeks vengeance on those who stumble. It says I'll only love you if you agree with me. It says that cancel people are enemies. Where kingdom culture is so different, it's a kingdom of redemption. Is that God chooses not to remember our sins and wrongdoings. It's a place of forgiveness. We're free from shame. It's a truth that honors the past. It's a place of agreement and unity. Is that grace makes us alive. It's less of me and more of him. It's this kingdom restores the fallen. Kingdom culture says, I don't have to agree with you to love you. And Jesus called cancel people his friends. wonder how you and I are designed to love and to forgive humanity around about us. Micah 6 and verse 8 sums it up so beautifully, saying this, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you and I? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. He's called us to live a kingdom culture life, not a cancel culture life. One of my prayers and one of my really questions to God over the last little while is this, was this, is this question of God, how do we actually win? How do you win? Because it just seems like everything is against the church. Everything is against God and His nature and His character. Like, how, how does this turn? And as I thought about it, I put pen to paper and I wrote a formula. Not that I'm into formulas out of the Word of God, but I just, it's just helped me bring clarity of because the end of the book says we win. It says he wins. His, his death and resurrection is not in vain. It's that God's desire is that all would be saved. It's like, I just can't see how it happens, God. And so I've penned this formula. It says this. It says that our actions and our unwavering faith and our trust in God, that's our part, plus God's delivering power equals a nation changed in a day. Our actions, our unwavering faith, our trusts. We've got to uphold our part of the relationship. Because God is a God who doesn't change. He is full of power. And we've seen it from the beginning of time. He is full of delivering power. 
Israelites, Israelites are in bondage for 400 years, but a whole nation is changed in a day. There's a greater sea parts. A nation sees deliverance. You look through the book of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they walk out of that fire with no even hint of smell of fire. And that nation changed that day. The king changes the laws. We all are going to worship their true God. Daniel chapter 6, the same thing happens. Daniel, 80 years of age, comes out of a lion's den, unscathed. The nation changes in a day from that moment. When you and I do our part and partner with the, our Heavenly Father, is that we can see our nation changed in a day. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word today. And I thank You for the kingdom culture in which we live. Father, a kingdom that none of us were deserving to live in, but through Your sacrifice, Jesus, where You came and You surrendered Your life on that cross. And on the third day, You rose again in victory and in power. It's because of what You have accomplished that we can live in the kingdom of God. This upside down kingdom. And Father, I am challenged again to to love in a greater way and to love in a greater measure. Father, not to bring shame and condemnation and guilt upon others, but Father, to stand in a place of forgiveness, knowing that I personally have been greatly forgiven. And so, Father, I pray today that as your sons and as your daughters, our faith and our unwavering trust and our actions would partner with your great ability. And Father, we'd see your will done that all would come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for that. And maybe you're here this morning just with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you've never experienced what the kingdom of God looks like, it's a place of forgiveness, it's a place of grace. It's a place of never-ending love for you. It's a place of agreement. It's a place of unity. It can take you out of shame and into the freedom of life. And I don't know where your heart's situated, your life's situated right now, but I, I would love you to give you the opportunity to experience the kingdom of God, the person of God, that He is so for you. His saving grace is there for you. His forgiveness is there for you. And all we have to do as individuals is make a decision. Say, you know what, Jesus, I, I want you today. I want to surrender my life in exchange for your life. And I know this, the fullness of, night of God now comes into your life. You're born again. You're declared a son and daughter of God. And so maybe you're here for the very first time. Or maybe you've come to church so regularly. But you just know today's a day where you just need to come back to experience the great love, the great affection. Maybe you've been walking in a place of shame. And today God just wants to bring freedom over your life. You've walked in a place of condemnation. He wants to bring freedom. So if you're like that today, say, hey, Mike, I just need Jesus. I need to surrender my life to Him. With every bit of boldness, I just love you. Just shoot up your hand just to acknowledge the ones I'm praying for today. If you're like that, say, Mike, please pray for me. I just need Jesus. I just need Him today. I need to come back into relationship as I look one last time. Heavenly Father, I thank You today. I thank You, a good God, and I thank You for these ones, Father, that made the decision to follow You. Some like myself four decades ago, others just even the last few months. But Father, I thank You that 
we'd be ones that would be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, we'd carry this message of hope and deliverance and salvation to the world around about us, Father. We thank You that You so believe in us and You've said to us that You want to send us into all the world to make disciples. And so, Father, we just... I know this message will keep speaking to you as you continue your day. So for more information about City Point West, jump on citypointchurch.com or follow our social media accounts, Instagram, City Point West, or our Facebook, City Point Church West. Have a great day.